I'm Melissa. And I'm Annie. And together we want to welcome you to Still Grey Pop. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Grey Pop? This week we're discussing Season 3, Episode 11, The Gypsy and the Hobo, written by Marty Noxon, Catherine Humphreys, and Matthew Weiner. Directed by Jennifer Getzinger. This episode originally aired on the 25th of October in 2009. The number one movie at the box office was Paranormal Activity, moving up to number one from number three last week. The number two movie was Saw 6, and the number three movie was Where the Wild Things Are, moving down from number one. We have a new number one song this week, Three by Britney Spears. Hashtag Free Britney. Free Britney. In this week's episode of Mad Men, Greg invites Joan to his pity party, which Joan politely declines. Roger is doing okay. Don and Betty have a very important talk, and Suzanne has a rough night. Quite an episode, huh, Melissa? I, yes. (laughs) This is kind of, like, I don't want to give it, I don't want to hype it up too much, but I'm just saying, like, there are some things in this episode that I've been waiting for for a very long time. Right. <laughs> and I'm going to bring this up a couple more times in the episode. But <laughs> when I saw the show notes and I saw that Marty Noxon um, was credited as a writer on this episode, the little gears in my head started turning and I was like, okay, okay. It's going to go down. It's going to go down. I see this. Yeah. Um, for those listening who may not know this or maybe not remember this, Marty Noxon was a showrunner for HBO's Sharp Objects, which shameless plug, that is the inspiration for the other podcast that I do. So, you know, she's a homie. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast that you're cheating on with us. We know. We know. We know. Yes. Just <laughs> <laughs> call me Don Draper. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a kind of a, a wild episode. Yeah, like you um, you were saying earlier about how you see the rest of the season going because this one was kind of running at a pretty high high pace, high level. Where am I? What word am I trying to go for? It was a lot of like stuff. All, all of the above. <laughs> it was a lot of stuff happened. It's crazy because we just were talking. I don't know if it was on the last episode or maybe two episodes ago. We were talking about how. What we're seeing is now <clears throat> the setup for the final act of this season. Um, because we have two more episodes. Two, correct? Yeah. Two more yeah. episodes mm-hmm. in the season. And then we're on to season four, which Matt is excited for, which makes me very <laughs> intrigued. Um, but when I'm thinking about that, I'm like, this is not even the penultimate episode. So what we just saw that I'm so hyped about is still... Like, we're still on the on-ramp. So what is going to happen in the next two episodes? And I feel like Mad Men could just, like, pump the brakes and it could just be chill. And that would still be fine because it's Mad Men and I never can tell what type of show it's about to be. But I just have a feeling more crazy things could be happening. I mean, somebody's lost a foot. Joan lost a vase. Like, things are happening. (laughs) This is still somehow set up for more um but i was just gonna ask you matt what you what you thought of what you think of this episode yeah no it's it's i definitely enjoyed it and like melissa mentioned there's definitely some things that happen in this episode that have been a long time coming and probably a long time coming since 
season one to to be fair and kind of you know the stuff that happens with betty and and her arc and everything else i don't think we're quite at the climax yet of the season because i think Mad Men does a very um it's kind of something that game of thrones would do would do later right i mean their seasons were shorter but your penultimate episode is is your climax and then your finale your season finale has some some stuff that's a little bit of of the day you ma from that and then setting up for the next season and that's based on my recollection i think that's definitely what what Mad Men has done historically so i think we're definitely still rising to our climax um i, I was going to say we're climaxing but that has uh, other connotations <laughs> that was done so... at suzanne's <laughs> apologies to everyone <laughs> i mean this is just a quick note and then we can use it as a segue into our first topic here um but when you said that we're seeing um like the culmination of some things that have been maybe percolating since season one um Obviously, we're going to get into like the Dawn stuff, um, but I feel that way kind of about the Joan and Roger stuff that happens in this episode. Um, obviously, we like right off the bat, you don't realize that they are in some type of relationship, but like I was, I'm not into their relationship. I think our feelings about Roger are on record, but I did really like the moment of Joan telling Roger like, oh, look at you figuring mm. it out for yourself. And I'm like, oh, okay, like, that type of thing I feel like has been, like, percolating in the background since season one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, so, like, this is the first time that there has been... Um, Roger is in these episodes a lot. Um, we normally... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? We normally, like, put him in bits and bobs because yeah. we don't like we don't like it <laughs> he's the paprika on the sandwich yeah and like in a, a lot of the past at least in this season and i think um parts of last season he's not a significant player by any means he just kind of appears he's comic relief we just make fun of him for being the worst uh, occasionally to remind us that don isn't the absolute worst or pete isn't the absolute worst because roger's here like you know swans in i'll hold my beer and everything but, um, in blackface yeah this roger episode is like distinctly different from that <clears throat> which i'm like are you gonna have a heart attack and actually die this time like, what are you doing <laughs> it does <laughs> it does have a ring of the roger like redemption tour which i'm not sure i'm here for but it at least i think acknowledges some of like his terribleness without making him the absolute worst because mm -hmm. um i was a little into this you know the one that got away nostalgia looks that he and annabelle were giving each other it was just something it was just like charming with like really good chemistry even though i'm kind of like why is i i just kind of felt like the character of annabelle was a little underserved uh as they usually are but it was it was kind of nice to see this part of him and not just be completely disgusted by him although he was still very like rude and petulant at points and yeah weird it was weird the shifts were kind of weird they were in line with who he who he's been for the past two seasons but it was weird right yeah like i was really surprised um <clears throat> to get the deed well obviously i rolled my eyes so hard i fell out of my chair when roger's like 
oh well i'm not gonna brag about how big i am like you are terrible <laughs> yes you are like let's you not are terrible you are absolutely 100 gonna brag about that i just had a cursed thought about what roger's tinder account would be like oh Sorry. dear god matt collectively groaned onions <laughs> we all we all broke <laughs> yes <laughs> but he seemed to be like relatively reading the room when it comes to her because like she thought that joke was very funny mm-hmm. and apparently she has she had very strong feelings for roger at some time um so i i was like this is weird like this girl is like well, this woman, you know, she's a grown woman. Um, she's she's so put together. She's beautiful. She's running this business. She has like very strong opinions about how she wants her business to be ran. All that stuff was so great. So I'm thinking, like, why are you into Roger? Like, I don't, I don't exactly get the um, what feels like a really strong connection, mm-hmm. you know, at, at least from her end. And then when we're at the dinner. And you get, like, the background of their relationship. And he's, like, still being rude to her about the fact that she decided to grow up and take control of a whole business while he was just, like, running around doing childish bullshit. Boxing? Like, boxing. He was boxing. The boxing? Spending I'm like, money. all of that tracks. He didn't Every know Every single second of that tracks. But the fact that she's still like, oh, you were the one, I'm like, honey. I really liked the line. I loved a lot of her lines. She said, you were adrift. You didn't do anything but spend money. Uh, you walked around like you're hoping to be a character in somebody else's novel. That what? is 100% Roger, like, constantly. Yeah, and what a sick, sick burn. Just every, he wants everything handed to him, really. And he's, what? like, upset when someone was just like, eh, um, amazingly, it turns out I don't think you're the person for me. I just really kind of find it hard to believe that this amazing woman would think that Roger was the one. The like, one. It's the nostalgia, though, too, right? Like, it's the looking back, because, like, Annabelle has just kind of taken control of her, her father's company because her her husband, who ostensibly got to run it because they got married and, you know, she was a woman died right so the person that essentially she left Mm -hmm. roger for passed away so Mm -hmm. she's obviously Mm -hmm. grieving and looking back to like oh i'm an old widow now and like coming like she's concerned about looking like a widow and you know being too old and all these things that through the patriarchy you know we we create this not us specifically but society creates this these ideal for women and and you know we don't even see in a lot of cases women even aging on screen like that's something we talked about a lot last season with um bobby barrett and things like that right so it's like looking Mm -hmm. back to kind of this this nostalgia for her youth and roger is part of that and like i don't like it's this idealized version and i think too that that theme carries through to some of the the roger and joan stuff because again like it is easy and it's light and like they have that that rapport and that history Mm -hmm. and when things are un uncertain in our lives we hold on to to the past or we hold on to the history or what's knowable and like a lot of times we soften the edges of it right so i think that was my read on where Annabelle is coming from and like mm-hmm. I think too you have the the different layers of kind of class and society and like I'm sure Roger in his 20s was fun to run around Paris with 
great. And I'm sure Annabelle was there too, but she decided she wants more. And now she's grieving and dealing with her own stuff and kind of looking backwards in that way, right? That's a great point. I think at some point she even says uh, something to the effect of him being the only one that she remembers from that time. Paris before the war. And maybe she'd rewatched Casablanca mo- recently too. So it was like all there. Yeah. <sighs> The romance, they want the romance, and and Roger uh, definitely didn't have it with Mona at the end of his marriage with her, and he seems to have it with Jane, and he, I feel like you get a sense in his conversation with Jane, or with Joan, ugh, with Joan, that he had that with her too, calling her Joni, and making phone calls for her, and all that stuff. Can I ask you both a question? Of course. Yes. When Roger and Annabelle go to dinner and they split the bottle of wine and Roger's already two martinis in or three martinis in or whatever it is and they're they're, you know, they're ne- necking a little bit and being close and you know, it's it's it seems like this is the moment that you know, they're going to to rekindle their romance and surprisingly based on what we know of Roger Sterling, he turns annabelle down and he's like oh i'm i'm married now and like seems to be practicing fidelity for ostensibly the first time in almost three seasons of television my question is to you is he being faithful to his wife joan or is jane jane or that that was where i was going that's my own freudian slip is he being like faithful <laughs> to jane or is he thinking of joan I, like, is it the idea of Joan? Sorry, go ahead. I was thinking more the idea of Jane. Um, I don't Definitely think not it's the Joan. real person in either case. Is yes, what we're that's true. He has very romantic ideas, Roger, of of himself, and he's certainly not the only man who has who's coming to terms with that or was dealing with that in this episode. But no, I. I don't really, I don't actually think he's necessarily, because we don't really get any of that. Hold on. Now I'm tra- mixing up the timelines. The brain is Swiss cheese, guys. Was that mm. the the conversation with Joan that was before he he went out to dinner with Annabelle? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that would account for the slight shift then, I think, in his tone from the flirting back and asking about the husband and the the fond looks towards her and the unbroken eye contact except when Don lights a cigarette and her being like you're now you're just being drunk so I mean it probably plays into it the whole Joan thing but I don't I don't I don't I don't believe yet that Roger sees women as individuals is just one vague fantastical amalgamation of quote unquote female like, I kind of wonder <clears throat> if he was, like, feeding off of Annabelle's energy and her, like, romanticizing of their past relationship in a way that he felt like he was going to be more satisfied by the idea that she wanted him and he denied her and, like, showing her that he's, like, loyal and he's grown and he's changed. Like, I wonder if, like, proving to her that he isn't 
what she thought he was when she left him is like more Mm. satisfying than like whatever sexual experience they could have had in that moment would have been. And also more satisfying than like not cheating on your wife, because I truly believe he doesn't give a shit about that, even though he is newly married to Jane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And when he tells her, that's a great idea point though, but I, I loved how he's like, it's different with this girl. Yes, girl. She's a girl. Uh, Sorry, Matt. No, no worries. No worries. I just have this like nagging thought that as they were talking about they being Roger and Annabelle, we're, we're talking about Paris and talking about the past and, you know, Annabelle's looking back to the past for comfort and this, this softened, idealized version of Roger and this capital R romanticism, romantic notion of Roger being the one that got away. I can't help but thinking that Roger thinks of Joan as the one that's got the one that got away. Like, I don't know. It's something I'm going to be kind of. That feels true to me. (laughs) It's something I want to track going forward because I just think it, it feels very intentional that we haven't had. (laughs) We haven't seen Roger like this before and we haven't had a Joan specific moment like this in a while and you know she's ostensibly has left sterling cooper and you know there's that moment where she's working in the the department store and you know with with pete in the dress and that whole situation it just feels really intentional that they're not only were they both feature characters in this episode but that their plots kind of crossed over excuse me so it's something mm-hmm. i'm definitely going to be looking closer at as we move forward into the end of season three and then whatever happens in season four. Mm-hmm. Joan is so good at playing things so close to the vest. Do you think, I didn't see any sign of it, but do you think it's possible that she might also be thinking of Roger as someone who got away because she was very good at being like, this is who we are. We're not anything more. I am looking for something else. I'm looking to be taken care of in my life being set up, not unlike Annabelle, right? When she cut herself off from the drifter and went off with the man who's going to stop the war (laughs) slash save her family's farm. So I think it's complicated in that I don't like Roger and I don't like Greg, and I think they are both man children. Um, I think they're both kind of immature and like, you know, like that. Now I have the Ned Stark in my line, but everything you say before but doesn't matter. But <laughs> Roger does seem, and this is, again, the bar isn't even on the ground. It's, like, buried three feet below the ground. That's how, how low it is to clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Roger does seem to listen and respect probably isn't the word, but, like, acknowledge and affirm Joan a little bit mm-hmm. more than Greg does. Not that mm-hmm. those are things I would ever say Roger is good at or does in spades or or anything else like that. But when Joan sets her boundaries, Roger will push them, mm-hmm. but ultimately he won't blow past them. And we know that Greg will. Uh, I mean, I they're... do. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Annie. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say, like, I do feel like there's a little bit of like, um, maybe like a. 
And this is exactly what I just said about, like, Annabelle, too. But, um, like, I feel like Joan and Roger may be, like, romanticizing their relationship that they had because they ended it Mm. before it got, like, horrible. And so it's, like, it does seem like both of them could feel like, oh, it's the one that got away because they were, like, you know, they stopped being together before it became a Dawn and Suzanne situation, if you will. Interesting. The big, like, the great big what if... It's Kai and for Joan, <laughs> such a random uh, connotation, but I was talking about this show earlier. Um, it's a little bit in, like into the woods for Joan where, you know, everyone gets their ha- happily ever afters at the intermission and the second act is literally just like Cinderella married to the prince. And it turns out not that ideal. And he's still running off mm-hmm. and cheating and finding other women in the woods to 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 have affairs with. And she's just stuck at home making the house and everything is falls short. So I think that definitely plays into what you're saying, the romanticization of what could have been the, the great unknown. Well, yeah, especially because like Joan is going to see Roger with Jane now. And like Jane is very obviously just like the new Joan. <laughs> I still keep hearing Jane and Joan as the same. <laughs> so I had to really think about that sentence. It's okay. I think Roger picture. does too. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, there has oh. to be a reason why their names are so similar. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think he also, I think he actually does enjoy that this is him being able to take care of Joan when she is ostensibly Mm -hmm. the mom she was the mom of the office she took care of everyone she set the boundaries she's the one who kept him in line and taught him how to be a grown-up and this is her being the proud mom being like oh you know you're doing so well out on your own dear yeah i mean on one hand i do think that these like interactions between uh joan and roger like she you know felt comfortable enough to like come to him with like something kind of private that she's like looking for work um and that's like cute and kind of makes me feel a little soft inside but at the same time i'm like oh roger did we want to jump into joan proper now (sighs) i always want to talk about joan (laughs) oh joan (laughs) Joan. (laughs) sweet beautiful amazing put upon friggin patience of a saint joan yeah but even saint's patience wears out yes uh, and quite frankly, she's done way better than I think I would have. Uh, I don't think I'm coming in with any hot takes here, but Greg is genuinely the worst. I hate him. I mean, I, I just... the My initial response to him saying he was joining the army is heinous. I'm not even going to say it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just as someone who works with surgeons on the regular, um, there's this sort of like man-childness and entitlement and self-centeredness. And they're not all like this. They're not. But he just, (laughs) he triggered something in my head and went, I don't want to enable this in any way. Um, Yeah. And it was like almost a nice moment for a while when he's helping, when she's helping him. Uh, prepare for his interview and he actually opens up and shows some vulnerability and he's just like I can't believe I never told you that thing about you know my dad and this horrible thing that happened in my childhood uh and they're like ah maybe Joan thinks this is like a breakthrough and something good's gonna happen but of course it's not because she's a woman in the 60s who's playing in with what she believes she's supposed to be doing 
he's the worst mm-hmm. he's the worst and she was just i could it was like so painful for me to just like watch her continue to hype him up like this mm-hmm. you know um and then when he, he goes on his rant, he's like, I don't even want to be a psychiatrist. It's not medicine. You don't know how difficult it is to work for something and want something and like not get it. And it's like there's so many layers to this because obviously a woman in the 60s knows every single thing about this. OK, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you are not treading new ground by feeling like you have not gotten what you deserve. But the thing is, you weren't a good surgeon. So therefore, you didn't deserve it. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. Like, maybe you did all the things. Maybe you worked hard. But like, that is not a, that does not a surgeon make. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. And Joan didn't know what to tell me either because she said, fuck this. <laughs> Just casual smash. And we've seen Joan, you know, be be good at the job and remember she, at her job, not just, you know, being the office manager, but when she was helping Harry read scripts mm-hmm, and was in those meetings mm-hmm. and everything else like that could have been what she was hoping for in terms of her big her big break, much like she saw Peggy ha- have. And then Harry's like, great, things are happening out. We hired a dude. So like for Greg to say that, like, no wonder she hit him over the head with the vase. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she did the same thing. She did everything she was supposed to do, and she worked really hard at it as a secretary, as like creating this perfect life where she looks the way she looks. She's the kind of woman that every man is supposed to want. She found the right guy supposedly to achieve her own dreams, and he's good looking, and he's gonna be a surgeon. And uh, it she's still working so hard to help him achieve his dream too so that they can both get there and uh, it's nothing it's completely nothing he's self-centered and doesn't see anything past his own nose it's all about his own pain and then on top of that my favorite just because <laughs> I'm currently reading a book uh, that is like name checking uh, hysteria the hysteria diagnosis in Victoria times and he is just like whoa you just hit me with a vase you're insane you know that and as annoying and infuriating as it was, I was also laughing because it's like, how do you know that she's insane? You're not a psychiatrist. They didn't no. want you. Oh, my God. This, <laughs> dude, I lost it when I read that comment in the notes. I was like, what an excellent fucking self-own. <laughs> you don't Great, do you shit, idiot. dude. <sighs> and, of course, he just ugh, goes off and quote, quote, fixes the problem without making this huge life changing choice uh without without discussing his life partner it's cool it's fine another casual mention of vietnam and the escalation there been present yeah. throughout the season so just want to want to mention that and again something to um be aware of as we we end the season and, and go into sensibly what's next season 1964 so yeah just i don't know what your thought was melissa but i mean who knows maybe you get your wish we'll have to keep watching if i'm assuming your thought was correct no comment (laughs) (laughs) oh boy um but i do not love this dynamic of like uh Greg making like a very, very, very serious life choice without talking to her first and then acting like this surprise should be something that she's like excited and thankful for. Fuck all that. 
All of it. Mm-hmm. And fuck Greg. And fuck Greg. To the depths of the earth and beyond. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's it, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Please remember to rate, <laughs> review, subscribe. No, just kidding. Um. Yeah. Okay. So when Annabelle comes in to see the old crew at Sterling Cooper, um, it's like a whole weird dynamic with like Bert and like Roger, and they're like holding hands and staring at each other. And Don's like, I can't actually tell if you guys know each other. Like, I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> like, 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 dude, is like, they're making I like didn't even the eye sex. <laughs> Of course yeah. they do. Like Don's like, I didn't even want to be around Roger a period, and now I have to watch him do this like weird shit. <laughs> um but when she's like, <laughs> My husband died of lung cancer, he was fifty one years old, like right at the same exact moment, you hear like the lighter click and you <laughs> the camera goes to like Don lighting the cigarette. Like that just seemed so specifically intentionally funny to me. Like <laughs> loved it it felt like there should have been like a record scratch <laughs> the only time that roger breaks eye contact with her is for that moment <laughs> it's so it's so funny like nobody says anything about it and it's like they don't even really talk about how many cigarettes they're smoking like this is maybe the first time lung cancer even got brought up on the show but oh yeah. like i'm sorry that's not funny but i laughed <laughs> and that's the high point for dawn <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So started with a bang and we are just sliding <laughs> downhill from here. Although it's not that like Don is doing anything extra shitty. Like this is just like a culmination of his shit that he already did. Mm -hmm. um, but I would like to say that when y'all asked me what I thought would happen, I said, I hope Don fucking cries. And guess what? <laughs> he did. <laughs> it was really good lit look. John Hamm, uh, he can do some good crying because like, it was so I, pitiful and gross. I love that. I just, I love the like nasty thrill I get from seeing <laughs> this grown man His crying. Like, <laughs> I do not feel bad. I hope that he is bedridden for days <laughs> with puffy eyes. He's got to get his waters delivered to replace these fucking <laughs> like electrolytes or whatever. Like I'm so here for it. <laughs> the chin wobble. The <gasps> it was good. It was real good. It was real good. It's feeding me. <laughs> and it, and uh, it has, it's like such like a layered cry too, because you have the shame of getting caught. You have him actually being tapping in and like sharing about Adam and like growing up poor. And then like, you know, somewhere in there's I'm a terrible person. Cause I've been lying to my wife for over a decade. And it just, it's, it's so many layers. It's, mm -hmm. it's like an onion mm -hmm. cry. It's great. And this is like, <sighs> um, the first time he really, we've seen him reckon with Adam's death. Right. Yeah. Am I remembering yep. that right? Yep. Ugh. Feelings gross. <laughs> yeah, disgusting. Um, um, I really love the sort of almost, um, not perfunctory, what do I want to say? The sort of like business-like way that Betty approached it too. Because oh my God. one, she goes to the lawyer, Milton, who's super useless and it's just like, go home, give it a try. You just admitted to me that your husband has been committing fraud, but you know, that's the advice I'd give my daughter. It's like, cool, this is why... 
uh, women get stuck in terrible situations because uh, even the law won't support them. Because he's like, oh, what? You're, you're, are you scared of him? No. He provides for you? No. It's probably fine because you'd either have to prove adultery in a court of law, which is really hard to do, even with someone like Don, probably. Uh, and you'd get nothing. And he'd get your kids. Not even these children. Like... <sighs> And couldn't buy, couldn't keep the house from William because they're, they're, she essentially goes down to her father's house to, to sort out the estate stuff from her, her dad. And William wants to buy her out of the house. And she says no. And he's upset. And then the door is locked and William can't get in. That was, that was kind of a, a fun bit and a not fun scenario. But uh, speaking of man yeah. children, the, one of my favorite ones that I often forget about is William, who just is so useless. He is so just loud and grumpy every time. <laughs> like, that's his whole thing. Um, I feel like this advice from this lawyer is, like, how decades later we have ended up with a TV show, like, Snapped. Like, if you are telling women that they need to stay in these awful, horrible marriages um basically for the patriarchy and for the quote unquote like family unit or whatever the fuck like there's don drapers all over this place that are getting you know just straight up murdered like (laughs) we can't deal with this (laughs) you need to stop telling people maybe not for even my safety but somebody else's safety like there's only so much that people can take i mean look at joan (laughs) i mean this is where we do a cutaway to no body no crime Joan was like the perfect moment. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And that's going to be Betty if Don doesn't get his shit together. Oh, my God. I just had a quick just spiraling fantasy of how Mad Men would end. <laughs> it's amazing. So it's kind of amazing how I think in from what I remember in 2009, right? 2009. A lot of this is very trying to humanize you know the struggles of these men of you know humanizing roger because he's been terrible but that at the same time oh look he's turning a new leaf we've got uh greg who's trying and just like just generally well i don't think um at any point we're trying to make him (laughs) a more likable person but he's got his own pain it's just his pain is distracting him from his wife's pain and all that stuff or at the whatever uh and now we have don who did a lot of terrible things. This episode starts with him basically making a home with another woman while his wife and kids are out of town. Mm-hmm. But still, a lot of it, especially once he starts telling his story, it's him crying. It's him like being sympathetic while Betty, who, uh, as we've talked about before, gets is just very like stoic and listening to all of it. You can see her softening because he's as she points out, a very good storyteller and very good mm-hmm. at ga- garnering sympathies. But amazing how in, what, 11 years and everything that we've seen, it's it's just sort of like <laughs> reinforcing that, that idea of like, men are really annoying. No offense, <laughs> Matt. They're really annoying and constantly pushing. And this is just like a constant thing. You're like, oh, this hasn't changed since at least the 1960s. Yeah. It's like sometimes... It's like frustrating. I love I love watching Mad Men. I love doing this podcast. But it's stuff like that that if I if I think it through, you know, all the way, I'm like, well, now I'm fucking mad. <laughs> <laughs> you played yourself. Yeah. 
Because it does, it does fall into that whole thing of like, oh man, isn't it funny how different things were back then and how much things are staying the same? And I'll, and it's like, wow, somehow both of those things are making me really depressed about the state of the current world. But it's like also, and it's like to be less, um, to be less like man hating and like gleeful in the in the man pain in this episode. It's like also just like really fucking sad because it's like none of these things are happening in a vacuum like it's Mm -hmm. not you know what I mean like there's a reason why in the 1960s and still in 2021 men out here feel like they can't share things you know Mm -hmm. and like that sucks for everyone yeah so a couple thoughts (laughs) Um, (laughs) first things first I'm kind of I'm reminded of a a quote from NBC's Hannibal in which Hannibal Lecter states that the optimist knows with absolute certainty that we're living in the best world possible and the pessimist fears this is true. It's a quote I think about a lot. Um, Especially when we're talking about time and societal change and (laughs) culture and things like that. Matt, what are you doing bringing in the real real? (laughs) The real, real I've also been thinking of rewatching True Detective season one, just because the ending of that is, I think, a little bit hopeful. Okay, Speaking of man pain. Um, <laughs> but that's a different podcast. The Carcosa cast coming soon. No, just kidding. It's not. Just follow me on Twitter. It's the Carcosa cast half the time. Anyways, what I'm am thinking, what is interesting to me is what happens next. Right. And I think that's the main thing we were talking about at the end of the episode about the arcs of the seasons and, you know, building to the climax and everything else in that Dawn has been terrible is probably too soft of a word, but it's the one I'll use with for now Um, has been frustrating and all of that stuff for three seasons of television. And we've talked a bit. I think even going as far back as early season one um, with some of the the Rachel Macon stuff and everything else with Dawn, how a lot of cis men will weaponize their their vulnerabilities to, you know, push against layers of of consent or, you know, to to kind of turn it around when they're, they're caught or in trouble and then will appear to be emotional or will turn it on to evoke empathy and compassion. And I think that that's something that happens both in the show and reality. And I think it's actually on a meta level, something that the show does to us as, as an audience. And we, we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. However cathartic we feel as the audience, and I think that's that reaction is justifiable and understandable. However we feel with like this broken point of dawn what i'm almost more interested in seeing is what happens next because again we talked about those tears have have layers it's he's crying about adam for the first time in three years yeah he's crying the the shame of getting caught and and all of this stuff and it i'm i'm not i want to be clear as i'm i'm not saying this to excuse any of that behavior but okay now we're at this point what are you going to do about it dawn Right. Mm -hmm. And the first things we see him do about it is damage control with Suzanne, who he left in the car. They're going to have their their weekend away and be like a quote unquote legit couple or an open couple at this bed and breakfast. And Suzanne gets to hide in the car and then finally just leaves because Betty came back early and, and all of that stuff. And 
and Don, you know, has that that breakdown and everything else. So first thing, it's it's damage control, and Suzanne's like, it just broke my heart when she's like, "Do I have to worry about my job? I guess I'll never see you again." Like, and it, so like it just mm-hmm. it's layers, and it's all upsetting. But it's like, for where the sh- where Mad Men is going, where it's going to take us next, this is like literally the most broken we have seen Don. Even mm-hmm. when he ran away to California, he wasn't this. The truth is out with, with Betty. What's going to happen next, both for their relationship and both for Don as an individual? And I think what happens next is really where, for better or worse, whatever happens, where we can judge the show and what its what its intent is doing. Because now they've kind of strung us along for three seasons. Obviously, we're in for some kind of titanic shifts, some tectonic shifts. Titanic, tectonic, both. Maybe it's an iceberg. Maybe it's an earthquake. Maybe we're getting a new continent. Who knows, right? <laughs> but shifts in the storytelling and shakeups of the status quo. Because I really feel like this is a, a Rubicon moment. The Rubicon, I think we've talked about this before. The river seas are crossed and he's in rebellion in Italy, blah, 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 blah. Matt took a lot of classics courses. But there, there's no going back from this. And it's like we've we've pushed up against this moment several times, whether it was Thanksgiving in season one, whether it was Betty finding out about Bobby Barrett last season. We're finally here and mm-hmm. what happens next? Can Don grow? Will they st- will Don and Betty stay together? Will they get divorced? Like that's where I want to kind of look at and follow the show going forward. Cause I think that's where the metal mm-hmm. is, because it's like people are fallible we fuck up we're human like and that doesn't excuse it or excuse the consequences because we want to live in a just society in which our actions have consequences and we make amends and all those things if we are willing to learn and grow i don't know if don is yet based on what we've seen before i'm skeptical but we've never seen him at this moment so as justified and i think cathartic as it is especially as an audience and probably for betty to have the truth from Dawn. Um, what's going to happen next? That's what I'm excited yeah. to see or anxious to see. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, in my episode watch notes, I chuckled to myself, but I also like wrote in this section, like, again, I am asking for a fresh start for Dawn and Betty to have a true partnership. Aww. How many times am I going to think that this is an option? At least one more. At least one more. At least. Because I'm there now. <laughs> and there... The thing is, Don's had so many fresh starts. Um, there I know, was, I know. He at some point even says, because when Betty is asking him, you know, um, basically asking him why and why he took on, why he let them think he was Don Draper. And he said, I found it was easier to be him than start over. Except uh, he's still himself. Um, All those times you tried to run away have determined that is a lie. Yeah. I mean, like, we're talking about Annabelle Lee. Annabelle Lee. Uh, what's her name? Annabelle coming in and being like, I would like you to give me another name for horse meat because I don't want to change the company name and I don't want to change the formula of our recipe or whatever. It's still horse meat, whatever you call it. It, it You could call it something else. It's still going to be horse meat. You can call Dick Whitman Don Draper. He's still going to be broken you know, incapable of exploring who he is as a person and trying to grow Dick Whitman. But I swear I actually like the show. Like you said, Melissa, I do enjoy watching the show and I love talking to you guys about it. Um, And I'm also really 
interested in seeing where they go from this point on with with Betty. I have vague recollections of things that happen, but how they're going to handle it, you know, on the on the more personal level is going to be very telling and very interesting. But a lot of this episode with Don was kind of frustrating to me. A lot of this is often frustrating for me when it comes to Don is it does become less about Betty's anger and trying to get answers and more about Don finally facing him, facing them with the person who has deserved this story the most. And him, you know, like we said, this is like the first time he's really dealing with what happened with Adam and uh, just admitting that the whole thing is a lie and asking all the questions that he's probably tried to avoid having to ask himself of like, when am I supposed to tell you on our first date, on our wedding night? You know, why do I even need to tell you, you know, the the woman who he married and had children with and who has been very aware that there's been secrets or ugh, I don't know. It's just you don't get to ask questions, Don. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're done. She was so good in that, wasn't she? She was so good. <laughs> yeah, I'm really obsessed with like a lot of a lot of Betty's stuff here. Like we already mentioned this line where she says like he said, I can explain. And she said, oh, I know you can. You're a very gifted storyteller. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Betty. Like, you're not here for his shit anymore. But I also loved uh, when he was, he was acting like, um, he was he was acting like he was maybe gonna uh, pretend like this box did not have contents. And she's <laughs> like, you know I know what's in there. Oof. That's the moment where he's just like, ugh. God damn it. It's, this is this is real. Okay. There's not going to be any lying to get out of this one for Mr. Draper. Yeah. Um he kept he there were times when he tried still kind of half-assed tried to to turn it around like when she's got the keys um or and he's like um you know, what are you doing with my keys? Why do you open them? And she's like, "I respected your privacy." It's like, yeah, no, she did what she was supposed to do, but you've made it very clear there's something that you're hiding, bro. So, um, and he says things, you know, you don't have, you didn't have to look at my things. It's like, yes, she did, because she, you know, did everything that you were, that she was supposed to do, and you told her nothing throughout your relationship. Oh, when uh, he's like, oh, lots of people changed their name, you did. And she's like, yeah, I took your name. Your name. That Which isn't is your a name. Goddamn lie. This is why I'm asking questions. This is why I need to know the truth. Mm. Because you have drugged me and these little baby children into this whole entire mess. <sighs> oh, and my other favorite was like, I was surprised you ever loved me, which just seems so like, oh, it's all my life is so hard. And yes, his life is hard. He's been through a lot. He's survived through a lot. He absolutely gets credit for having turned around his life the way he did, even if it did require some fraud. Um, and she just goes, am I supposed to feel sorry for you? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably a little, but I'm not seeing him do the same for her at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really interesting that, like, what we've heard before about Betty being so cold and how January Jones's performance, which was fantastic, was, like, so frosty and so perfect because she's such a frosty actor and so stiff, whatever. Fuck all those people. Um, it is very ambiguous, her reaction to it, because... And I and I don't think he knows either how things are going to play out. I'm not sure she does. Um, what do you guys think? 
is particularly about Betty's reaction. Now that she actually has gotten the truth, we've seen her get some of the truth about the more immediate things like his affair. But how did you feel about Betty? Um, <clears throat> I mean, other than the fact that she had like those killer lines. Yeah. And to be honest, like I didn't think too much more about her, which I think is a failing of the episodes. And also of mine, because I was super hype about Don crying. <laughs> Sorry. Every time you mention it, it just makes me want to laugh. It's, yeah. Um, but the fact that I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about, like, Betty's reaction or what Betty, you know, you know, like, I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about, like, what Betty was going to personally do after this. I spent most of my time thinking if Don was actually going to change for them to stay together. So, like, also, fuck you, Melissa. <laughs> oh. Like, <laughs> Melissa, Melissa is honestly just going through the same things that I know first time watcher Annie definitely experienced too so yeah it's just like I the episode is set up in a way for this to focus on Don and it got me <laughs> that's the whole setup of the show though Don's our Don's our you know last shot of the the opening credits so I think you can forgive yourself a little bit but and it's definitely, I think, a shortcoming of the episode. And honestly, because, like, we get... Did Don ever actually stop to think about Suzanne that night? In my mind, I just kept thinking, did she have to pee? I think he forgot. Oh, really? I honestly oh think he God. forgot about her. Yeah. I, we're not going to get too personal, but I am going to say, like, I have been caught up before mm -hmm. <laughs> and like in my experience i would have been like listen lady i'm sorry about all these secrets but like i gotta there i gotta i like i'm gonna cause me an even bigger problem so i can go <laughs> tell this bitch she gotta go because like i <laughs> i'm sorry that i called suzanne a bitch i shouldn't have said that <laughs> suzanne's just another victim just another victim of the patriarchy telling don he can't be a, a feeling human being to process his emotions I have Suzanne feelings. Mm -hmm. She said she was going to make this spaghetti. It sounds amazing. Please put butter and cream into all of the things and I will eat them. Yes. Um, but he's like, I'm going to go lay down. Okay. Mm, I hated that. Don't. Hated that so <laughs> like if somebody's going to be cooking you dinner, the least, the least you could do is sit at the kitchen table and chit chat. Okay. Mm -hmm. A. B. Did she just let him sleep through a whole meal and she just came to bed after? Like, you cooked and ate by yourself and, like, no. Okay, I have questions. Um, she says, like, I'm, I just, you know, I just, like, wanted, I just wanted more than I thought I would. Like, don't worry, it'll pass. And he's like, well, I don't want it to pass. And I'm like, Don, what? Like, you Dude. don't want Suzanne to find a way to be fulfilled and find comfort in the relationship that you are actually available for like you are telling her that you would like her to continue to pine for more in this relationship when you know damn well you can't provide it like what are you doing and then he, he's immediately like let's just go away for the week but so you can get so that like Suzanne can be more attached to the idea of a relationship that don cannot provide to her like 
this is a standard, standard ass, like basic Don move. It's boring. Mm-hmm. Get a new he one. Lo- like he loves setting up like that romance side of things, <clears throat> and he loves letting them almost get what they want, even though they're very aware from the very beginning that it's going to end badly for them. He makes no promises other than like, we'll have a good time right now. Uh, I mean, even at the end, she's just like, or at the beginning, she's like, I I know what this was when I got into it. And he's, oh, he fi- he admits that he pushed her into this. Mm-hmm. But it's fine now because she's so into it that it's not a problem. She even says, what does it matter? It matters, Suzanne. It matters. And he. It definitely matters. It definitely matters. Like, the. Mm. <laughs> just. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, and then the last the last one is um, when Don is like, oh, you're the only one that would even ask me if I'm OK right now. And I'm like, mm. yeah, because she's the only person who doesn't realize that you fucking did this to yourself. Yeah. Like that's not the, Suzanne is a great person. Suzanne is a wonderful person. This is not an example of Suzanne being wonderful. This is an example of you being a fucking dickhead. <laughs> The part that got me, well, and and a second thing just occurred to me now. The thing that got me about that is, one, well, no, it's all one thing. Sorry, hold on. The thing that got me about that is that Don is also really good at setting himself up. And I know you've complained about this before too, Melissa, about how he sets himself up. He uses his emotional vulnerability, what little he'll share, as he'll, he weaponizes it. Um, and it's what draws the women in. And then suddenly, oh gosh. And then suddenly, cat. cat. And then suddenly, now they're taking care of him, and she takes care of him by making him dinner when while he sleeps. Um, and or you know, they're always like letting letting him complain about his wife or escape. They're they're caregivers. Obviously, Betty does the same thing by being the good housewife, and she. She asks if he's okay before she asks if her own job is now at risk. And he says, first of all, that's just fucked up. Because <laughs> he's the one who's cheating. Second of all, because of that pattern, she isn't the only one in his life who would ask that. They would all ask that because he has put them all in a position where they care about him before their own needs. They're putting their unfulfilled satisfaction again up against, you know, or behind whatever the fuck he's going got going on in his quote unquote real life. I am infuriated. I am annoyed on all the women's behalf. Mm. All the women who take care of the men the men child in their lives in this show and I suppose in real life. How are you doing, Matt? <laughs> oh he's yeah, straight up no, left the episode. <laughs> no, I'm I'm here. I'm here. It's so again, just I guess to kind of bring it together to what I was like talking about before, I definitely think Don was more weaponizing kind of intimacy and vulnerability with Suzanne. I think he's kind of has been been doing that even like during the eclipse when she had him pegged as the dude he was, and he was like, "Oh, I'm not like these other dudes." While he, as he wears the same shirt as them all, um, I do think it is this different than the emotion he was demonstrating with with Betty later when he was caught. Um, and again, I think that that has layers and I, I kind of stand by what I said said earlier in the episode. I do find it interesting. I need to find another synonym for interesting. I feel like I use that word too much. Sorry, everyone. 
thought provoking. I find it thought. Thank you, Annie. I find it thought provoking. <laughs> and looking at the the characters Don has had his affairs with over the past three seasons, right? So I guess we we see him with with Midge, and then the primary affair i guess that develops over over season one isn't that terrible that you have a primary affair and secondary affairs in a season anyways the primary affair being rachel but then in season two it's it's bobby barrett and don can use some of those same tricks right and that's also the one he had caught and, and betty found out but Bobby knew who he was, had heard about him and his philandering and stuff through reputations and, you know, play Don's game better than Don, and that pissed Don off. So it's, it's very suspect and curious that then in the season three primary affair, it is, it's like the polar opposite of Bobby, where it's like it is someone younger, yes, less established in their career, and where Don can can use that that playbook again more successfully. So that that's suspect, as as we were saying, mm-hmm. and I am curious as to to what happens next overall. Um, I'm pretty sure, I I I'm guessing, and I don't know if I'm remembering incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure that this is the last we see of Abigail Spencer as Suzanne Farrell. Oh, wow. So, and like, maybe we'll see her again this season and I'll have to take it back and, you know, we can do the, the Nelson haha told you so. So like that, it just, this episode was frustrating on a whole lot of levels, like on many levels and a myriad of levels as Mad Men episodes tend to be, but I just ended up being like really sad for Suzanne. And I just, I've seen it before and I knew she wasn't, excuse me, I knew she wasn't going to go to the door and have to go to the bathroom or see what happened to Dawn, but, like, I would have in her situation before cell phones, before I could text and say, hey, can I come in? But um, but I just ended up being very sad for Suzanne and frustrated and, and lots of, feeling lots of righteous indignation for this episode. Mm-hmm. But it's in, like, um... I agree with that assessment, the the righteous indignation, but it's in a way that like I enjoy. Like sometimes I get mad at Mad Men because I think it's doing like a disservice to its characters. That's not exactly how I, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. all of this is just like a really good episode and everything that happens in it is like really grounded very deeply in like who these people are and our understanding of them in Mad Men, which I love. Like, I love to be mad at Dawn because Dawn's a piece of shit. I don't like to be mad at the TV show of Mad Men. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Um, But, uh, I mean, we still have two more episodes this season. So we're being obviously set up for stuff. Chess pieces are being moved into place. We have to remember a world when you didn't just watch all 12 or 13 episodes in one very long entire day in a row. Um, so that's it's still it's still exciting just being a person with a terrible memory and not quite knowing what's going to happen and how things are going to come together or fall apart for that matter. Yeah, I'm really excited. to finish up this season see what's what 
Melissa, can I ask you a question? And Annie, I'll ask it of you as well, but Melissa's our resident newbie, so I'm <laughs> curious as to her perspective. So may I ask you a question? Okay. Don, because he has to, because he's caught, because Betty's already seen the photos and he can't can't spin it and the divorce certificate with Anna and everything else. He has to tell Betty the truth. Do you think Betty re- believes Don... Or has any reason to believe Don? We know it's the truth because we've been watching the show for three seasons. But does Betty? Like, what do you think Betty's next steps are? I think, I don't think that Betty has any reason to believe him. And she straight up says, like, I don't know you. I can't trust you. Like, whatever foundation they had, you know, is gone. Because it was all, you know... When you don't know someone's, like, real actual name and they have, like, a lot of capital T trauma surrounding that, like, you don't know him. A you whole know? ass uh, ex-wife. Yeah, like, and so it's, like, maybe she does believe the things that he said to her about the events, but, like, the fact remains, that's going to change everything about her perspective of him. So it's, like... My question the my question is less like whether she believes what he said and it's more like is she interested in like fully rebuilding like is she even interested in this person anymore because like even if she believes him like who fucking cares he still did this <laughs> Mhm And I think too like she's known about the philandering and the affairs but like the betrayal go so much deeper and so Mm -hmm. much further back Mm -hmm. that it's like i don't know yeah because like cheating is kind of slightly expected in this time almost it's one of those things of like ooh, well forgive but much bigger scale much bigger scale like her kids who who the hell are they now that they're a dead man (laughs) they've got a dead man's name Mm. it's definitely a lot to contend with and like where do you even begin to start processing all this if it's back to therapy i hope betty finds a new therapist truly yeah and i mean to say the very least don need one, needs one too no well don't send him to fucking greg <laughs> greg i will say is not he doesn't have the most therapeutic bedside manner <laughs> There is a reason why most of his patients are going to be mainly sedated. Or the patients he wants, at least. Oh, boy. Yeah, that basically sums it up. Bits and bobs? um, Yeah, bits and bobs. Uh, Yeah, so I actually wanted to ask you guys about the title. um, Which does contain a slur. Uh... (laughs) Uh, that we were a little more laissez-faire about in 2009. Um, And I was trying to pay attention for the right, for a moment where it became a little more clear. Sometimes the titles, I'm not good at them in general. Um, So I was a little disappointed by the fact that it seemed everything was leading up to trick-or-treat and the kids' Halloween costumes, just so someone can can look at Don and go, who are you supposed to be? Did I miss something? Yeah, like, that's weird. 
Um, cause like the name refers to just their costumes. So going back to season one, I think it might've been episode five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, don't remember, but it's one of the first ones where we get kind of the, the young Dick Whitman flashbacks and we have, um, Dick Whitman's superhero origin story we talked about. That's the hobo code, right? So that's where they have the itinerant mm. worker during the mm. depression who, you know, basically gives Don his foundational advice of, you know, just keep swimming, like keep moving, keep going forward as you as you figured out your dad's a bad man, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I think the first part of the title of the episode is kind of a, a call back to that, because, again, we're going back to this idea of Don moving forward and being like a itinerant and a man is, you know, whatever room he's in and kind of that whole piece there. What I'm less clear on is the reference to aside from Sally's stereotypical costume reference to to the Romani and I, I I'm wondering if it again has something to do with the the stereotypical kind of like itinerant nature of you know that that culture and that that lifestyle and so we've we talked at the beginning of the episode about that kind of capital R romanticism and, you know, one that got away and looking back in the past and trains passing in the night and different things like that, whether it's Roger and Joan or Roger and Annabelle or or different things like that. What I'm less clear on is if the episode is suggesting that then that thought comes down to is the stereotypical, like, itinerant kind of female role who Sally's dressed up at, if if Bobby is the, you know, stereotypical, like, um riding the rails with his his stick and, and bundle or whatever and Sally's appropriating caricatures of the Romani is it supposed to be Betty but how does she kind of fit in that I, like you could probably make a case it's 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 based on a lot of <laughs> like tropes and and different things like this that may or may not be be true of the Romani and in terms of how we think about that in, in con or how culture thought about that in contrast to the other things. But I think it has something to do with referencing back to the hobo code, that being Don's origin story, as you say, when he, when Dick was a, a kid and, and met that, that fella during the, the depression and all of that stuff. But I don't know if the, the second part completely bears out for me without like relying it really on like the same kind of connotations of the Romani that's in that share song. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. 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 I've kind of like the, the more kind of exotic and like, you know, Betty being, where's she going to go? Where's her next step? Is she going to travel? And she's, she's the pretty one and, you know, with the jewels and all of that stuff. Like that's the best I can, I can kind of reach for on the back. And then that whole romanticism of like an itinerant lifestyle, right? Whether it be actually that lifestyle or, moving through life and more of that milestones and, and kind of metaphorical sense. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to shout out was the closing song of, uh, at the end of the credits was where is love from the musical Oliver, which is, uh, you know, based off the Dickens tale, Oliver twist, uh, about an abused little orphan boy who is just searching for family and love and isn't finding it anywhere. And I was like, kind of annoyed by it because I was like, that kid is actually sympathetic. That's an innocent. We've got Don, who is not an abused little orphan boy anymore. Mm. He's making mm-hmm. a lot of choices 
making things terrible for others so i mean if anything betty's the orphan because she's the one with like a dead man's name who she doesn't even know she too is looking for the love she is she too is looking for love real love yeah and i i yeah i i think it's a bit i think it has i keep using the shrek onion metaphor i'm sorry everyone i haven't watched that movie in like 20 years probably it definitely has layers and like i see those like dawn parallels and even in the fact of like if i'm remembering oliver correctly which i probably should because i am a formal artful a former artful dodger myself when i was 12 i (laughs) was in was in oliver um but like he like meets like that uncle or falls up ends up being being rich and rising above that that circumstances but i think that whole idea of where is the love um (laughs) the whole that whole idea like i think it it can work on different layers, but uh, yeah, it is. It is a little. It is a little on the nose. It's like in season one where the horseshoe award falls over and the luck runs out. Um, but I don't know. It works for me. I I get. But maybe that's just my own romanticism and nostalgia because I still remember my entry scene as Dodger as Oliver and and my lines, which mm-hmm. I if we ever do a Patreon, maybe that can be a. Which we have no plans to, listeners, so don't worry. But uh, you got to pay me to hear my my really bad Cockney accent that I did when I was 11 or 12. <laughs> well, I think we did it. I think we did do it. I, I'm looking forward till next time. Me too. I'm really excited. Like, finishing the season. It's so exciting. Um. Okay, so in the meantime, Matt, where can we find you? not on this podcast in other places yeah you can find me on twitter at at maddie hugh m-a-t-t-y-h-u-g-h annie you can find me on that other podcast the daily nightly where we're just talking up a storm about mansfield park and other jane austen things and books so many books oh my god uh next episode i think i'm talking about casey mcquiston's one last stop uh, and having feelings all everyone all over everyone it's gonna be a thing yeah so i'm um, gonna be talking about books that make me feel things and make me want to believe in things on the daily nightly uh eventually uh but you can also find me on instagram at pop artery p-o-p-a-r-t-e-r-y melissa yeah you can find me on twitter at mellow yellow which is m-e-l-l-o-o yellow or you can find me co-hosting the wild the aforementioned wild pretty (laughs) things podcast our most recent episode is um also about women doing things like i could have talked about joan in that episode we talk about black bear promising young woman who's hellstrom and uh wandavision okay so yeah and then if you want to get all of us together you can email us at stillgreatbob at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at stillgreatpod if you really love us a lot you can and should rate and review this podcast on the podcatching system of your choice and as always thank you to dj empirical for a very groovy theme song woo woo Yeah. Well, bye. (laughs) Till next time. Later days. I'm going to...
fight you. I can't believe you got to read that book. 